You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. It's the Sooners Illustrated podcast, episode 45 on this Thursday, December 21st, 2023. Josh Calloway, Colin Kendi with you on a Thursday, recapping National Signing Day. Uh, obviously, a very, very busy day for people of Colin's ilk on the recruiting side of things. Busy for us, too. Else we were down in Norman uh, with Brent Venables and kind of recapping the day and getting everything up. But CK was all over it all day long, recruiting profiles for every guy that signed, all 27 of them. They're on the site right now. And Colin and I are going to recap today and kind of wrap up this class now that it's, you know, ink to paper. It's official. All these guys are in. No drama, really. All 27 are in-house, and uh, they'll be at Oklahoma before too long. At least the, most of them will be in just the next, uh, obviously, few weeks, month or so. Colin, let's start there with the fact that all 27 guys are in. Um, you know, obviously, the Sooners Illustrated didn't exist last year, but OU fans remember, and obviously you were around, certainly, and I was covering the team in a different place, the insanity of the Peyton Bowen situation. And usually there's lots of drama on signing day, lots of craziness, and there certainly was around the country, but not in Norman, Oklahoma. All 27 guys were in by about 11 a.m. The only thing was Taylor Tatum waited a little bit longer than most people would have liked. But other than that, all guys are in, very little drama. Can't ask for much more, really, for Oklahoma, right? I, I think we all know. I was living in Tennessee at the time that everything that took place with Oklahoma's previous signing class went down, and it was the talk of the entire country. Yeah. With the Peyton Bowen saga and all of that. And so for someone like me who slept at approximately zero hours in the <laughs> night before signing day, I was I was sitting there as soon as the the letters of intent started coming in. I think it it was like five a.m. because Daniel Akinkunmi, I, I had to be sure I was firing all cylinders at four thirty in the morning because it was ten thirty in England, right? And that's when he was having his signing day. So like, I bring that up to basically say it was an early start, and if there was going to be chaos, it was going to wear. Yeah, like everyone, Oklahoma fans, the beat. I think we were all sort of praying for a seamless transition for these guys because the storylines were cool to follow last year, but I also think there's a lot of PTSD flowing around mm. these parts. And so I, I think, look, for the drama of the day to be Taylor Tatum and for me to be on the phone with a source around Taylor Tatum and then tell that source, okay, never mind, he just sent in his paperwork and that guy being like, Okay, good. That's that, that yeah. should track. I I don't think you can ask much more if you're an Oklahoma fan, right? So yeah, it's huge. I, I think it's something that gets taken for granted. But I believe a couple of the coaching staff put something out, something to the effect of like all 27 are in, top 10 class done, in, and it was basically all wrapped up even before Brent Venables was done with his press conference, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a really exciting group for Oklahoma and its fan base, and it's the group that's going to take them into the SEC. So the seamless transition is certainly welcomed. Yeah, it was indicative of the Venables era so far on the recruiting <laughs> side of things. You know, I mean, they obviously a lot was made when he first got the job that he wasn't going to allow guys to take visits, you know, after they've been committed and things like that, and, and you know that caught a lot of attention nationally and certainly among OU fans and things like that. And But you've kind of seen that pay out. I mean, the number of guys who have decommitted, it's still going to happen. It's still college football, still recruits. But there's been a lot less of kind of drama-filled recruitments, it seems like, the last few years under Brent. And that was on display in the signing day and the fact that all 27 guys, a lot of these guys have been committed for a long time, never really wavered that you know much at all. And then they all <laughs> signed on signing day. 
And like you said, I mean, Venable's presser was at 10.30 in the morning. By the time he got to the podium, the only one that hadn't signed was Taylor Tatum. And then he signed in the middle of Venable's uh, press conference. He had like 20 minutes in, he got informed and he was able to just sit there and talk about Tatum for a few minutes. So not not bad at all. If you're Oklahoma, yeah. you didn't have to sweat it too much. I mean, everybody was going to be when with the big guys like Tatum, like David Stone, like, you know, any any of these big, big, you know, five star, you know, number one running back by Tatum is you're going to be worried and a little nervous just because just until it's official because they're such a talented prospect. But there really wasn't a lot of drama, which is uh, I think most of you fans certainly appreciate that. Um, because, yeah, like you said, last year was a circus. And so this year, uh, a little more cut and dry. Uh, I, I'm fascinated now, too, because it allows Oklahoma, going off of this, to really zero in on its other recruiting efforts that have to take place the rest of the way. Now, right. we're going to get into the guys that obviously signed, but I think that's another thing you really have to appreciate about the day. And and to your point, I think this is a testament to not just Brent Venable's recruiting strategy, but the kind of guys that this Oklahoma staff is choosing to recruit, right? Mm-hmm. I, Right. I think when Brent came in, not only people on the outside, but I would even say people on the inside, like the fan base for Oklahoma, there was probably a lot of questions surrounding Brent's personal preference of individual as he goes through the recruiting process. He he wasn't involved with every five star. I, I just he made it very apparent that they were going to recruit the player off the field as much as the player on the field. And when you see all of these flips and all of these storylines through signing day, a lot of that is because of just how many influences are around the recruiting process these days. And I think you look at this class, these are 27 guys that for the most part are focused, they're zeroed in and they know what they want. And that's who Brent prefers to have on campus. Obviously the, the no visit policy, right? And I'm gonna be honest with everybody, there are guys on this list who took "quote unquote" visits to other places, but for the most part, those visits were more on the effect of going to see a place with some teammates who were being recruited mm-hmm. by that school, or oh, the game's right down the street; it's a big game. Maybe I'll go check it out, type of thing. Like being a football fan more than an actual recruit. And so the the, the summation of this is to get twenty seven guys. For a class that's currently number nine overall, eight in the composite as far as just recruiting. So strictly a top 10 class, largely on the back of these recruits, not the transfers. Yeah, it's it's a really special group because it's not only incredibly talented, but again, these are these are the kind of guys Oklahoma wants in-house to not only play in the Southeastern Conference, but to to maintain continuity and stability and to yeah. represent the program well in the community. And so that's another thing you just simply t- can't take for granted because they're not only helping go through a drama-less signing day, but now this Oklahoma coaching staff can bring all these guys in and say, all right, let's go get the final few to make this really special group even better. Absolutely. Uh, I certainly want to get your thoughts on individual guys. We'll do that sure. in just a second. But in general, you know, something that caught my attention certainly yesterday at Venable's press conference He's been here for three classes now, you know, two full cycles. The first year was kind of thrown together. He still managed to get in the top 10. They've been the top 10 all three times. The quote that caught my attention was that he feels like that one was the one they signed yesterday was the best one so far now of, of the three. <laughs> How do you feel like just in general, you know, and again, last year's was higher rated. If you want to go by rankings and things like that. How do you feel like in general Oklahoma did here? Um is this do – you, do you agree with that estimation? Do you think this is probably the best crop? Is it more that he fit the needs? You look at what they did on the defensive line, of course. Um, just uh, overall, how would you feel like Oklahoma made out here? I mean, do you feel like the Sooners going into the SEC next year, paired out with the class they just had, that they're they're kind of got the ball rolling the right way? Uh, how would you kind of wrap up this, this group? And, again, it's not necessarily done either. You know, this December signing day is completely just overshadowed the February one. They can obviously add more guys, and they very well may. But as of now, this 2024 crop, where would you kind of rate it? How would you kind of balance in, in how well Oklahoma did? I think last year's group had more flash because mm-hmm. of the Jackson Arnolds and the Peyton Bowens and then the P.J. Adebuares. But this group to me is not only maybe more of a complete group, because I think it not only is a class that addresses specific needs – 
very well. I think there are a lot more guys in this group, to be quite honest with you, who I can make a case for you that could play on day one. And I, I don't I don't think that's something you can take for granted if you're an Oklahoma fan because there are a lot of really talented players in last year's class. But I would also make the case a lot of players from last year's group needed some time to develop. Mm. I look at this class, and I think that the top five, six, seven kids are legitimately guys who could play on day one. And you just kind of knew a lot of those yeah. dudes from last year's group, they were highly rated. But another thing to consider as far as the rankings are concerned, a lot of those rankings are based on NFL draft long-term projections. So rankings factor in things like what is your future going to look like, not the immediate production. Sure, sure. And I, I think that when you look at individuals in this class who we'll talk about, like I seriously do believe there are a number of players, not just at the top, but throughout this class, because of what they're good at and their skill set plus fit and at positions of need, like there's a lot of these dudes coming in who can play early on, in my opinion. And I think that's why Brent, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. Like this is the best class that they signed because ahead of the Southeastern Conference move, mm. they went and got dudes at position groups of need who can address those needs right away. And you're you're not worried about them either. Like you're not worried about them handling the responsibilities of that ask on and off the field. So overall, I mean, it's it's a really special and complete group. And in a, in a time frame where it was more pivotal than ever that you signed an impact class, yeah. they went out and got that done. And I, I think you're going to feel the effects of that right away. It's a balanced class, obviously. 27 guys, 14 offense, 13 defense. Obviously can't, can't do much better than that. Offensively first, what are some guys here that – your overall thoughts, I guess, on what, how they made out offensively, but then also maybe some guys that stick out to you as, like you're kind of referring to, day one possible contributors. Obviously, I think a lot of eyes immediately go to a lot of those offensive line guys considering everything they've lost. Where do your eyes go right away when you look at the offensive group as far as I could see that guy making an impact right away? And then just generally, who are some of your favorites here on the offensive side? Yeah, so – I sent in a, a little video for our National Signing Day show at 24-7 Sports. You can watch the full thing on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. But my little video hit that led off the discussion on the show about Oklahoma's class, I said two things. This whole group is about shoring up the offensive and defensive lines of scrimmage ahead of a move to the SEC. And then number two, getting Jackson Arnold more help yeah. and even further plethora of weapons as he takes over the starting gig. And I think the storylines on the offensive side of the ball, to me, everyone's going to look at the offensive line guys, right? Whether you really like them, maybe there are some fans out there who don't. Obviously, we've seen that discourse all over Twitter. Then you probably look at Taylor Tate. Like, those, to me, are the things that grab. I think this wide receiver class is really good, man. And mm -hmm. Specifically, it's because they went out and and Gabe Brooks, one of our national scouting analysts, wrote a column about this like a really long time ago. And I, I don't want fans to forget this. Sometimes there are programs out there who recruit four or five wide receivers in a cycle, but they're all very highly rated players. And so you go get them because they're highly rated, but maybe they're kind of similar skill sets or they're, they're, they're a lot of developmental guys, and then you, that's when you kind of see a lot of turnover in the receiver room, right? When yeah. you're getting dudes who kind of have the same timeline or skill set. I look at this receiver class that Emmett Jones signed, and exactly to Gabe Brooks' previous point, this is a receiver group that complements each other incredibly well. And it's because there's really not a ton of guys that they're bringing in at the receiver position who are all that alike. I look at Zion Kearney. To me, I, I truly believe there is like some C.D. Lamb in him. You mm -hmm. think about it, C.D. came from Greater Houston. Zion's about six foot two, already two hundred and ten pounds. C.D. was much leaner, but I think Zion can stretch the field. I think he create after the catch. He to me is like your wide receiver one. You went and got your W.R. one. That's who you need to go get. But man, you look at this. From Ivan Carrion, who's six foot six and already around 200 pounds. Huge. Like, that's your big dude on the perimeter who's going to be a problem in the red zone, who's going to be a problem downfield. But then 
You sign guys like Zion Raggins, KJ Daniels, these really fast, smaller wide receivers who are obviously nowhere close to the height or weight of Zion or even obviously Ivan. Sure. But why do you bring those guys in? Well, if I have Zion uh, on one end and then I have Ivan on the other, if I have two dudes in the slot who run, I mean, as fast as anybody in the country, what do you do if you're an opposing defensive coordinator? Truly, what right. is the call? And I think that's why it's a really fascinating overall incoming wide receiver class is because they're just they're different skill sets that allow you to present different looks on the perimeter to an opposing defense. Like, I think you could put Zion Raggins on the outside, and all of a sudden, your call has to account for that because your safety and your corner is going to have to understand, okay, this guy runs like 4-3 already. If he starts running vertically and then Zion Kearney is in the slot underneath, they have a serious ability to either stretch us yeah. or attack underneath for yards after catch opportunity with a dude who's already like built like a running back or taller too. So, yeah, really impressive incoming wide receiver core. Obviously, the offensive line, the running backs are really good. But this is the other thing that I talked about in my little signing day hit that I wanted to expand on a little bit more. To get Devon Mitchell, in my opinion, is like that, that's that's huge. I, I could make an argument he's the most important offensive signing of the class. And look, he's he's gonna be a high school senior by the time he's playing. So like I'm not I'm not sitting here telling you that this dude is like an all SEC tight end day one as a technically a high school senior. But the way that they needed to go out and get their guy, and he's been tight end one for, I couldn't tell you how long, to be honest, right? <laughs> yeah. I, then you factor in, okay, they have a serious need at tight end. There's just not a lot of talent in that room that's all that proven either. Devon Mitchell is your only tight end signee. And... When you have Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley taking over as offensive coordinator and co-offensive coordinator, you know there's going to be greater emphasis placed on that position. And, yeah, they're bringing in Bauer Sharp, but Bauer is going to have to adjust to this level as well. And I think Bauer does some different things than Devon. But I said it on a YouTube show uh, at 24-7 Sports Headquarters months ago, months ago. Like, Devon Mitchell was tight end one for them upon multiple classes. Even when he was a 2025 kid, right? that was the guy they wanted. And they got him. And Devon Mitchell is probably the most likely candidate to play right away because who else is going to in that tight end? I was going to ask you, yeah, how realistic is it? Because we talked about it a little bit uh, last week, Tom and I, about, you know, because they added Bauer Sharp, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, from Southeast Louisiana. You get Caden Helms healthy, presumably, hopefully, obviously, Cade McIntyre, you're two for him. How realistic is it that Devon Mitchell could be starting tight end, you know, week one next year? Because like you said, he is technically a high school senior in terms of age. Seems like asking a lot, but obviously you look at the guy, he's a behemoth, he's a monster. Um, yeah. We both think the world of him, you know, as for NFL aspirations and things like that. Could he be the guy right away? I think a lot of fans have kind of been asking themselves that, like, how realistic is it in your mind that he could be a big part of the offense right away next year? I, I, if he's not tied in one, I seriously think he's tied in two. Because, yeah. And look, I don't want to take anything away from the other guys, but I do believe that one of the reasons why they went and got Bauer Sharp is because they felt like this guy can complement Devon well, not – take snaps away from him. Mm -hmm. And if Oklahoma going into the SEC wants to run more 12 personnel, so for those at home, that's one running back, two tight ends, who else are you putting out there? Especially when you think about the fact that 12 personnel typically would require you to have a tight end with his hand in the dirt. I don't know a lot of other tight ends on Oklahoma's roster next year who are built like Devon already. I mean, he's, he's yeah. currently listed, guys, he is a he's gonna be a high school senior and he's listed at 6'4, 245 pounds. I mean, he's he's wow. damn near 250 as a junior in high school. <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? You know, like and Josh, we were out at the camp that over the summer. 
And I'll never forget it. You looked over at me and you were like, that dude already looks like he's in the NFL. Yeah. He's bigger than Joe John Finley now. And I know, yeah. I know Joe John had, you know, hasn't played in a little while, but that's a grown man. We're talking about a high school kid. He's bigger than him now. He was bigger. I'll never forget it. When he was still in Texas and I went and saw him as like a sophomore, he was bigger than seniors at, at, at <laughs> Allen High School. I do not know how that happens. So, yeah. But then the other part of this, too, is like Devon is a very intriguing and more complete skill set than I think a lot of people give him credit for. And, like, guys, he is ranked 167 in the country for a recruit in the senior class who shouldn't even be there. Like, he's he should not be in the senior rankings. And he's top right. 175. Do you know how good of a player you have to be in the top 175? I mean – I think Devon Mitchell, at the very least, is your tight end too next year. I don't, I don't know the way he just sits out, and I, I think again that's a big reason why he's not only the guy they wanted to sign, but he's the only recruit that they signed. Right. So I, I really do think Devon Mitchell, in my opinion, is like if you want to make an offensive MVP case, yes, it's probably Taylor Tatum, but I can make an argument for Devon Mitchell, no problem. Right. What about the quarterbacks? You know, obviously, it's a weird room going to next year because Jackson Arnold is obviously your your guy and aspirations couldn't be higher for him. But then it's, you know, you bring in Hawkins and Zerbrug, Davis Bevel, General Booty are, are still there. They're not, not going anywhere. Do you imagine Michael Hawkins could be the backup next year? Do you think it'll be Davis Bevel? I'm kind of curious how that kind of hierarchy shakes out because obviously Michael Hawkins had a phenomenal senior year of high school and I think a lot of people are kind of resetting their expectations on where he could fit in down the road because I think coming into the year back in the summer it was kind of almost a given that it'll be Arnold he'll hand it off to Sperry and Hawkins may just not have an opportunity to play but man the year he had and every time I've seen I've never seen him play in person but every time I see highlights on Twitter or whatever it looks pretty dang good how quickly or, or where do you think Hawkins kind of fits in here as Arnold's backup right away or, or is he lower in the totem pole? I really hope that he's competing for quarterback two snaps going into next season because I, I'm trying to say this in the most respectful way possible. I don't know the talent in that room that matches Michael Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just – I remember the Red River game. Let's just put that out there, you know? like, <laughs> Yeah. So moving on, I think Michael Hawkins, look, I think a lot of people understand he, he, he will need to develop, but he has developed very well over the course of his high school career. You know, I saw him as a very young player, very, very young player at Allen, and his transition. I, I think Hawkins... The, the encouraging part of his game, and I kind of broke this down briefly in his profile, is like he does two things really well that, in my opinion, are traits you would want to look for in a incoming freshman quarterback. He's incredibly athletic and mobile in the pocket. He's mm -hmm. not strictly just a running quarterback. I think he's very good at obviously picking up yardage with his legs. And so if you're a young player – who can rely on your athleticism in tricky moments, like that's going to bail you out of situations that non-mobile quarterbacks might have to suffer through, right? But then I think Hawkins, he's he's very, very good at attacking vertically. That's, that's his preferred throw, and you can see it on tape. I mean, anyone, I encourage people to go look at Michael Hawkins' senior film. He just put it out, I think, five days ago, six days ago. And it starts with a whole lot of him damaging defenses with his legs. I mean, he is burning through defenses yeah. with the ball. And then the next, I mean, the rest of the film is him attacking vertically with his arm. And you can take a guy through some things, but because he has that confidence to stretch the field vertically or attack on the ground, I feel like Hawkins, plus if you get him, I mean, he's obviously going to be working with the program early in the process. I think that's huge for him. Mm -hmm. It's obviously very much out there. He's going to go through practices with the team. His dad put out something to the effect of like, how crazy is it that my son just son to my alma mater and now he's going to go practice with them in the Alamo Bowl? Yeah. I, I could make you an argument like, 
I'll probably write something to the effect of this as far as like some of the guys who are enrolling early, but like of anyone who can benefit the most from enrolling early, I think Michael Hawkins has a case because he's probably not only your quarterback too going into next year, capitalizing on that early enrollee, but like if he enrolls early and builds his game up ahead of schedule, he's seriously competing for the job after Jackson Arnold leaves. Then right. That's that that I feel like that's really important to, to contextualize as far as Hawkins' future. So, yeah, man, I, this is a really interesting little duo at quarterback because Zerbrug, Zerbrug's another who can stretch the field vertically. Incredibly athletic young player. I I think he's got a lot of other stuff he's going to have to polish up. But yeah, I, I hope to see Michael Hawkins. I hope around the spring that we're getting buzz out of Oklahoma saying. Yeah, like Hawkins is ready to, to take QB2 snaps going into next year. And I think he has the mentality ready to attack that ask. It's fascinating, you know, just dynamic uh, with that offensive, that quarterback room. Because obviously a year from now, we're talking about Kevin Sperry signing and, and being in there too. And it's just kind of how does, how does it all shake out with all these guys? I mean, there will be, if, you know, barring transfers or anything like that, there will be a season where all three guys are there. And who knows how it shakes out after that. Obviously, presumably, Jack Arnold has two great years and he moves on the NFL if it all goes according to plan, obviously. But what if he doesn't? What if he comes back for another year? Or, you know, I don't know. It's going to be it's gonna be a fun little storyline, uh, obviously, to keep an eye on over the next couple of years. Uh, the only other thing with offense, obviously, is those offensive linemen. Hard to probably tell because you have your tackles, presumably, right? With, with uh, Spencer Brown comes in and, and Sexton. Everett probably is your center next year. Just trying to figure out the guards. You know, obviously they're chasing a couple of transfer guys that were in town. So a lot of it probably depends on assuming they can lock down what else they do in the transfer portal, things like that. They've got a bunch right. of guys coming in here. Do you have one or two in, in particular that you think could certainly, if needed, maybe be a starting guy in one of those guard spots right away I, next year? I think – Eugene Brooks and Eddie Pierre-Louis are the two yeah. guys who could probably come in and play right away. You know, people don't know, like, Eugene Brooks, he was a – I want to say he was like an 87-rated player at one point. So, like, upper-middle tier three-star player, which is still a really good football player. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that he had not just work to do with his game, but he at one point was – pretty out of shape, needed to sort of just go through a whole reform. And I'm pretty sure he dropped like 60 to 80 pounds. And keep in mind, folks, he's 6'4", mm -hmm. 320. Okay. He, he shed like 60 pounds or something crazy like that. Reworked his body. So now he's added muscle. He's played tackle, which at one point he kind of just felt like strictly a guard recruit. I think Eugene Brooks is a really talented player who's on the rise rapidly. And not a lot of people have recognized that yet. I mean, whenever his ranking got boosted, I believe, I'm trying to remember what I wrote in his article, but I think he jumped like 243 spots or something roughly. Like yeah. just unprecedented, you know. And Eugene's a really good player, physical in the run game, especially. So, like, if you throw him in there at guard, I feel pretty confident in his abilities to go out and attack. And then Eddie Pierre-Louis, obviously, I mean, Brent talked about it. He looks like a, what, three-year NFL veteran and defensive tackle, whatever he said. <laughs> yeah. And Eddie Pierre-Louis, the important thing to consider is, yeah, he probably needs to grow as an actual offensive lineman, like the technicalities of the game. But when you have a freakish athlete like that already checking in around 340 pounds – Throw him in there in the interior of the offensive line and let that dude just go to work. So I, I the overall class is very solid, right? Josh Isosa in state, mm -hmm. very interesting player around 6'4, 305 pounds. You got those guys overall. Isaiah Autry, I just saw him. He was at the US Army Bowl here in DFW. Didn't play. I think he had just played in the Mississippi Bowl. For all those high school players out there, uh -huh. and he looks—I mean, he's very tall. I, he is—I think he's all of six seven. So it's a very—it's a very solid offensive line class, and there are a couple guys who I think could help you rotationally early on. 
They're all, to me, guys that will need to come in and develop. But I also think, too, it's important that a lot of these guys are on the upward trajectory, and I think they can carry that over into Norman. The Sooners Illustrated Podcast will be back after this short break. Flipping over to defense. Obviously, and rightfully so, all the attention goes to that defensive line, uh, the power line, as uh, Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis, like to call it. David Stone, your headliner of really the whole class. He's kind of the centerpiece of this thing. Danny Okoye, who you got to see play in Frisco, was just mauling people. He is so fun. Uh, big personality, too, to go with his play. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, then Jaden Jackson, Nigel Smith, Wyatt Gilmore. It's a hell of a crop, uh, at least on paper, and it certainly seems like it's going to be big time. Put in a context uh, for us, Colin, in terms of how, how good this defensive line group is, because it feels like it's an SEC group. Like, you know, these guys could all play almost anywhere they want, and they're all at Oklahoma. And I guess same question that kind of is the, the big one is, is who can contribute right away? Could David Stone be a factor right away, you know, next year? Any of these guys on that defensive line? If he's not, then we need to have talk, right? <laughs> if, if David Stone ain't playing in year one, we need to have a discussion about that. But I, I trust <laughs> that he will. This is my thing with David, man. Like, people don't know how hard that guy works. Like, he – right. I know there was some stuff out there about him that I firmly disagree with. He is he is a five-star for a reason. And this is the other thing, too, is he, he plays the game with, with a level of intent that I, I think should be appreciated. So David, to me, is going to play right away. But, like, this whole group, it's not just, obviously, like an SEC group. I mean, it's one of the best in the country. I don't care who you are. Like, mm-hmm. Big Ten teams – Pac-12 teams that are going to the Big Ten. The ACC, well, I mean, anywhere across the country, Oklahoma just signed one of the best defensive line halls in America. And I don't remember the last time that – I don't has, – has that ever been said? Right, honestly. right. And so, I mean, look, man, like, Nigel Smith to me is a player who can legitimately come in and play right away, especially consider the fact that he can do a lot of different things. I can, I think he can check off a couple of different alignments or techniques along the defensive front. Obviously, their plan is to play him at end and on the interior. Uh, Jaden Jackson, I, I think, is still maybe the most under-the-radar player in this hall. I think you can make an argument for Wyatt Gilmore because Jaden and, and David and Nigel and all these guys, Danny Okoye, is beloved already. Gilmore certainly deserves his due. I think that guy's going to be really good. But Jaden, I think, is someone who can also play on the interior of the defensive line right away. Mm. And I, I don't think you can take that for granted. Okoye is going to be really good, man. He, What he was doing to people out there at the Army Bowl. And, and the other thing, too, is it was like, he was on – he was out there – I think he had a sack, tackle for loss, blah, blah, blah. You know, he forced like an interception return for a touchdown. He was on kickoff coverage, Josh. He was on kickoff. Oh, he's a freak. Yeah. For those of you at home who don't understand, they put a defensive end on kickoff coverage and said, like, run 50, 60 yards as fast as you can and go hit that guy. I don't know if a lot of the defensive ends that are on kickoff coverage in America. I truly don't. So... McCoy is, I mean, a monster athletically. And if they can bring him in and continue to build him up, I mean, the sky's the limit. He feels like, to me, one of the dudes in this class that has the highest ceiling of, of a lot of dudes when you look at just the, the natural, what he's bringing to the table. And at the end of the day, man, the thing that we have to, to hit as we kind of put the bow on the defensive line class, like every single player is ranked a four-star or higher. Every single player. There you go. Yeah. There are a lot of three-star defensive linemen that were coming into the program and JUCO guys, and that's there is nothing wrong with three-star players, folks. Three-star players are elite high school football players. That just shows you how much better these guys are on paper. To sign every single one and have all of them be four stars plus a five mm-hmm. special times coming in to Norman as far as the defensive line. I could be wrong, too. I, I, I've Pretty confident trying to just remember back. I've checked some snap counts and things like that. But I want to say Oklahoma will use Trace Ford on 
kickoff coverage sometimes too. So Okoye might get a chance to do that at OU a little bit uh, too. He's he's insane. Uh, yeah, he's he's fun to watch. Big personality, like I said. Him and Stone, and it's a really fun group, both on the field and off. And so excited to be what they could become uh, in Norman very very soon. Do you mind if I put like a quick story in here? You know, like everyone knows the big personality that Okoye sure. is, Stone is, and um, like I, I think a lot of people are getting to know these guys on the defensive line. Nigel is another one who's constantly like he's a very outspoken individual and he's very mature. Mm. I don't think people know how like awesome Jaden Jackson is either. You know, like David was telling me a story when I went out there to go see him in Nashville. They were playing Lipscomb Academy, a really good team, like really, really good team. Right. That was week week zero of the season. And David was telling me a story. He had like a nagging ankle injury, and it started to flare up during that Lipscomb game. And Jaden Jackson is on the field. They're like in the middle of a drive where they're going at it with Lipscomb. And Lipscomb has this guard, Chauncey Gooden, that Oklahoma is recruiting. And that kid is already, I believe, like 350 pounds. He's huge. <laughs> so, like, those dudes on the inside for IMG, we're facing a power five offensive lineman who's being pursued by Tennessee, Oklahoma, blah, blah, blah. And Jaden looks over at David as, like, David's feeling it. And David said he looked over and he was like, hey, do you want to switch sides on the interior so you can get your get-off foot is the opposite foot of the ankle that's hurting you? Because they were running – tackle yeah. stunts and all of that and so Jaden was like yo flip me so that way you're not getting off of your ankle you can just go off the good foot on this drive and I was like that's that's awesome you know yeah. what I mean like that the headiness of Jaden to be like yo flip me right now it, it that I really like Jaden Jackson man. he's gonna be a really fun player that so. chemistry of those two also like just whenever they eventually line up together at the stadium like that, they have so much camaraderie already. Obviously, like you just said with that story, it's gonna be they're gonna do special things. And uh, yeah. yeah, and you you mix in obviously PJ is still is an absolute alien. Obviously, he's not normal. He's around, gonna continue to develop him. It's scary. It's a lot to be excited about. It is. It's a lot to be excited about. I, I did want to give you a shot though. I know I put I'm putting you on the spot, but we're wrapping up here, and we just touch on both sides. Are there any guys in this class that you're really excited? about? I'm curious because obviously I'm in the trenches with recruiting and everything. Yeah. Josh, you're dialed into recruiting, but we never go back and forth. So is there anyone in this group that you, you wanted to kind of give like, Hey, these are my guys in the class. Yeah. I mean, I love to do some real diamonds in the rough. I love Okoye. I think he's going to be awesome. Um, I'm really excited to see him. It's funny because he, and I, I'm trying not to just do the first name thing, but he reminds me of Stutzman at a different position, both in terms of like, you saw Danny Stutzman do the, the Texas speech, I could totally see Okoye doing that same thing in a couple of years. He's going to be beloved uh, in Norman quickly. He, he is so much fun and physical, and I'm excited. The, the possibility of him and P.J. on the edges is just – that's nightmare fuel for, for quarterbacks. Um, as far as other guys on offense, man, I love Devon Mitchell. I've spoke – you know, I, I, I will also – the baseball in me with Taylor Tatum, just – I really hope he can just really excel at both. Him and James Nesta both. Um, Brent Venables was very complimentary of Skip Johnson in the baseball program yesterday talking about he, – he said straight up, I don't think we get either guy if not for our baseball program being up and running and elite and Skip Johnson helping out. Like, we just wouldn't have got these guys. And so – It's uh, true. Too. Baseball it's in me, I'm very partial to both those guys because I really want them both to excel in both because that would just be a lot of fun. That would just be a lot of fun. And speaking of Nesta, and obviously all these secondary guys, uh, obviously Nesta's the only linebacker official, which is you know seems anti-Venables because he's such a linebacker guy, but they have so many guys on the team now. And you brought Tussman back. Tons of guys in the secondary. Um, it's a loaded, loaded group. Obviously, Boganowski, what do you call him? Obviously, kind of maybe going to play that cheetah, but goes into yeah. DB. Eli Bowen, Jaden Hardy, Devin Jordan, Jeremiah Newcomb, Reggie Powers. Trying to make sure I don't miss anybody. I mean, just a loaded group. Yeah. Overall, for what Brandon Hall and Jay Valai did in the, in this this crop, because there seems like a lot of dudes who are going to be big time here soon. And and I'll tell you this too, like it's kind of funny. Like Nesta's kind of a part of that. I don't think people know this, but yeah, like, they told Nesta if you want to play Cheetah, like we'll figure that out. 
And I look at this class to kind of put the bow on the defensive side of the ball. Reggie Powers and Michael Boganowski, I think those are Brent Venables guys. You know, like they, they just feel like Brent Venables players. Mm. The way that they can play three to five positions on the field. I mean, I can make an argument for you that Powers is going to play Cheetah. He can play safety. He can play weak side linebacker if you need him to. Boganowski is going to play safety. He can play Cheetah. He can play linebacker. Those feel kind of like those chess pieces that Brent Venables wants. Because yeah. the thing that Brent really wants to get to is that multiplicity style. Like Nesta can play edge. He can play Cheetah. He can play linebacker. Boganowski and Powers, linebacker, Cheetah, safety. Now, Boganowski is going to come into the program as a safety, and Powers is going to play Cheetah out of the gate, and then Ness is going to be linebacker. But those dudes are going to be able to play mm -hmm. multiplicity positions. And then, But that, it goes beyond this, too, because I look at these guys. You know, Jaden Hardy can play corner and safety. I think he's a safety, but he played corner this year at Louisville. Right. Then you got Devin Jordan. I, I think he can play corner. I think he can play safety. A lot of these dudes, man, like I think Michael Patterson could play Cheetah if you wanted him to as well as safety, right? Even though he's a little bit a lighter, like I think he could play a nickel defender type. Mm -hmm. But then I, kind of the last thing I'll, I'll say is I think Jeremiah Newcomb, because he was like the first one to commit to this class. So long ago. <laughs> Feels like forever ago. So long ago. <laughs> There's a reason why Arizona State went all in trying to flip him at the last second. So for those of you who don't know at home, or maybe you, you've stumbled upon this channel for the first time and you, you don't have Twitter or something, I don't know. Like, I do really believe it's important to understand Newcomb was the very first player to commit to Oklahoma. So he kind of showed like, hey, this is my loyalty to the program. Mm -hmm. And I want to say like five or six days before signing day, Arizona State sent every single coach on staff, except one who I believe missed because he was out recruiting someone else. Kenny Dillingham, and I'm pretty sure like every single other coach who was allowed to travel for recruiting was in Jeremiah Newcomb's home on the couch trying to get that guy to flip. And Kenny Dillingham, I don't think people understand this either, Josh. <laughs> Kenny Dillingham in a press conference basically talked about Jeremiah Newcomb specifically before like I think it was like a, a game against Oregon or something. Like I was reading it. Yeah, I remember. Where Arizona yeah. State side is really good on 24-7. Like Kenny Dillingham basically told the fan base before a big game or something like, hey, you guys need to pack this place out and get this place going because we have an in-state recruit coming this weekend to watch the game. And turns out Jeremiah Newcomb, like I was talking about earlier, he was showing up at Arizona State because I think he lives like right down the street or something like that. And other teammates yeah. of his were being – recruited by Arizona State. He was just there to watch the game. And Kenny Dillingham was like, oh no, like we need to we need to impress this dude and make him think about us. It's crazy. And then they sent the whole staff to his house. And Newcomb's really good, man. He's really good. I mean he's a four star corner, 5'11, 175, probably will play 185 soon, maybe even 190 if they can add a good amount of weight to him. You don't often pull from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Jeremiah Newcomb may be – I think you can make the argument he's the most under-the-radar recruit of this class because he's just been a part of it for so long. But there's a reason why, man. Like, Arizona State went all out towards the end of trying to get him, and now he's a Sooner. So, Yeah, he has been just in the fold forever. And there's something to be said for in the fold that long, never decommits, nothing, and then he signs on signing. Like, it's just no nonsense the whole way uh, for him. So excited to see him. And Brent Venables talked about him. Uh, he talked about every guy a little bit in his uh, press conference yesterday, which is on the YouTube channel, by the way. You can watch that. Um, the first, like, 15 minutes, he didn't even take a question. He just launched into talking about the class and talking about every single guy. He at least mentioned everybody's name. That's uh, how Venables kind of rolls. And uh, he talked about every single guy uh, that signed yesterday. So I recommend checking that out to kind of get Venables' thoughts and uh, on every single dude. To wrap up, we want to make sure we get some shine here for the PWOs of this crop because Oklahoma so has got some guys here. Obviously, Amy Bass is the big one. Most people know. Unfortunately, had the injury in the state title game. Going to be out a while, probably all night, maybe all next year. I don't know. I guess it depends on severity. But he's going to miss some time, obviously. But there are other guys outside of Bass that 
can make an impact. And obviously, most Oakland fans sh should know by now. I mean, Drake Stoops, walk on. Gavin Freeman, walk on. Tyler Walker, walk on. These guys can walk on and be big-time players at Oklahoma. This last few years, uh, the names I just mentioned, guys who have played big-time snaps and been big-time part of the team. So what are some PWO names that fans should be aware of here that uh, Oklahoma signed this week? Yeah, I I mean, James on our site wrote like a whole story about just in-state PWOs. Like they, they took a lot of preferred walk-ons this year. And yeah. I, this is why, so we were talking about before we launched into the show. Those of y'all watching, for those of you at home, like what Oklahoma did from a PWO perspective, in my opinion, cannot be overlooked because it is the future of college football, period. Mm -hmm. Like I'm telling y'all right now, when Oklahoma calls players with scholarships from Syracuse, Oklahoma State, so on and so forth, North Texas, and they tell those guys who can play FBS, Power 5 to G5 football, walk on here. We'll pay, we'll pay through NIL to take care of your scholarship. And they get dudes who could legitimately have taken scholarships that places you have been playing against, yeah. okay? I that's huge. I mean, it's huge, and it. it I think Andy Bass is the, the the crown jewel. I I hate it for him that he got hurt in the state championship game trying to win a title for his team and his his friends. He he also had told me too, like he was going to enroll early and start working right away as a PWO with the program. Start working towards. His multiple usage, right? We know Oklahoma told him, like, you're going to play running back, you can play wide receiver, you can play wildcat quarterback, you can work on special teams, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I hate it for him. But, like, man, Andy Bass could have played Power 5 football elsewhere. And he's walking on at Oklahoma. But the NIL usage is benefiting Oklahoma because they are now signing players who could have played elsewhere through this avenue. Bergen Kaiser is another. I believe he had an Oklahoma State offer maybe a couple other G5 offers, and he says, no, I'm going to walk on and join that OU defensive lineman. And yeah. Like, we got you. Jacob Jordan, wide receiver out of Southlake, one of the most productive players in the state of Texas at wide out at a storied program like Southlake Carroll. J Jacob Jordan was supposed to play in the U.S. Army Bowl with Okoye and Michael Boganowski and Isaiah Autry, like, PWO for OU got an invite to an All-American game. <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. Um, but he 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 wasn't able to play. He had like a, a, a mixed up ankle. He's gonna be fine. He's another one, man, that just like he wanted to play at OU. He could have right. played at North Texas. He could have played at other G5 programs. I believe he had an offer from like Incarnate Word, which is a really good program. They they roll people. And Jacob Jordan's gonna go play at Oklahoma. Um Liam Evans to get us out of here. I think you got to talk about him as far as PWOs because, I mean, he's – what is he, like the number one kicker in the state and top ten nationally or something to that effect, Josh? I, you might know more than me, but – He's got a boot. That's what I know. I mean, he's making like 50 yarders in high school, which you just don't see easy at all. Yeah. Easy. And we were talking about this too before we went and recorded. When you miss out on two transfer portal kickers – who go to Arkansas and Penn State. Liam Evans is huge. I mean, that dude, yes, he is a preferred walk-on kicker. Mm -hmm. Is he legitimately fighting for a starting kicking opportunity going into next year as a freshman? I mean, the, this is my thing, and, and I wish I knew more about the whole special team space. But the last time I remember Oklahoma signing a player like that was like Austin Cyber, you know? Yeah, right. So his importance for this class, and I and I, I talked about this when I was telling our subscribers about the transfer kickers. Like in the SEC, you got to be good in all three phases of the game. Oklahoma was just flat out bad last year in special teams. It's on Liam Evans basically to help fix that. So again, man, really fascinating PWO group that will be able to contribute, and I think it's it's sort of indicative of, of where we are in college football and the way Oklahoma is capitalizing on the space in its future. 
Absolutely. I mean, you figure the way that last year, you know, went, obviously, that that kicking job is probably up for grabs. And like you said, they didn't land one of those transfers that they were chasing. Liam Evans can certainly can certainly boot it, and he's planning to get here in spring. James had that scoop a week or two ago, and we'll see where he fits in. Certainly an opportunity there for him, I think, probably to compete for that job. So uh, exciting. All right, I think that's it on uh, signing day recap. We thank you so much for tuning in, uh, as always. Again, on the site yesterday, Colin had a million pieces of content. Tom had a bunch of content. James had a bunch of content. These guys were all over it. Um, so it's all obviously still there. It's not going anywhere. If you want to recap sign day, learn about every single guy individually. They're all there on the site. Uh, tons of great stuff. Also here from Brent Venables, like I said, both on the site and on the YouTube channel. His entire press conference is on there. So uh, lots of content yesterday from signing day. You can go check it all out. It's still there. Not going anywhere. No show on Monday. That is this thing called Christmas. So we will hold off uh, on the Monday podcast. I think Tom, James, and I are planning to maybe do an in-person show in San Antonio on maybe Wednesday. I don't know. Just keep an eye out for it. It's going to be a little touch and go when we're down there kind of figuring out what we can uh, pull off. But we'll have another show before the Alamo Bowl to preview that game next week. Keep an eye out for it probably Wednesday. So keep an eye out for that. That's it for now. We'll see you back next week. Colin, man, appreciate you as always. Have a good holiday. We'll catch up with you uh, here. Who knows when? The schedule is really funky with Senate, the Alamo Bowl, but we'll catch up with you here before too long. Hey, folks, I believe you can still get 60% off? I think so, yes. 50% off? Something to that effect. Yeah. We're running like a holiday deal, signing day deal type of special across 24-7 sports. I would encourage you to sign up or maybe even get it as a gift. A last-minute gift there you go. for someone out there because it takes you a little lickety split, and all of a sudden you're taken care of for the holidays. Whether you're trying to get someone a last Paramount Plus gift. subscription comes along with it, bam! It's it's an incredible value and <laughs> a great way to bail yourself out if you yes. didn't get somebody a gift that's an Oklahoma fan. So go sign up. Merry Christmas in advance, everybody. We appreciate y'all. It's been a lot of fun as we round out the whole, basically, the year. So happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I'll see you all next time. All right, that's it. We'll catch you guys next week to preview the Alamo Bowl from San Antonio. Colin Kennedy, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll see you guys next time on the Sooners Illustrated podcast.